Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at I want to talk today about the church being a place of joy. I don't think that the church truly knows how to celebrate, nor do we know how to rejoice in our God. You know, for instance, if, if, if you go out of the world and you ask, uh, who is it that really knows how to celebrate and have, have joy? I don't think most people would say the church. I don't think they would. I think they'd name probably other people. But I'm telling you today, I think God wants us to learn how to rejoice. And the church should be a place of joy. And, and uh, you know, Christmas, we're, we're coming close to Christmas, 17 days away. Christmas is the largest celebration that the world puts on each year. It is. And during this season, billions of people set aside their normal, normal routines to, to participate in kind of strange behavior. All of a sudden, we, we go in and we decorate our homes with with all kinds of trees and lights and all kinds of things, wreaths. And, you know, if you think about it, that's kind of funny. You, you cut a tree out, down from out in the forest, and you bring it in your house with all the spiders and everything in it. And, you know, think about it. And we put lights on it and we, we, we send out greeting cards or Christmas cards, maybe not so much anymore, but we used to. We buy gifts for people. We, we attend Christmas parties, we attend special church services that celebrate Christmas, and we watch Christmas TV specials. My wife is watching all those Hallmark Christmas specials. What, what was that clap for? Jeez. And I'm just, I can, I, can, I can watch, I've watched enough of them to know that I can tell you the whole plot in the first five minutes. It's true. I can tell you. I can tell you who's in what and what everything. Everything. Okay. But Tracy said it doesn't matter. You still watch it. Okay. But here we are at Christmas time. There, there are amazing Christmas sights and sounds that, that fill our, our senses. We have special Christmas music that comes on during this time. They started before Thanksgiving, almost around Halloween. And they start, you know... Uh, on the radio and TV, the special Christmas smells, stores are decorated, streets are decorated. You can't go to any town in America without some kind of decoration in the town. I mean, this is just, it's, it's amazing. Christmas is everywhere. It's everywhere. If you, if you were an alien and you came here uh, to America during the Christmas season, it might be a little confusing. You know, you would say, well, what are you celebrating? Well, I don't know what some people would say, but those of us who are believers, we might say something like this. Well, I'm celebrating the birth of a peasant baby in a barn that happened over 2,000 years ago. What? But I'm telling you, during that one night, the whole world changed. A group of shepherds were about to be surprised, astonished, and amazed as a, as a group of angels came from heaven to announce to them, the most amazing birth the world had ever seen. 
Now, I'm going to read this, Luke 2, verse 8 through 14. It says, There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. Now notice what the very first thing the angels... Now I find this, this story just fascinating. There's so many uh, parts of this. But I find this... The angel said this at the very beginning. He said that this event would bring great joy. Say joy. Now... I think, unfortunately, many people don't look at Christmas at this way. You know what I think? I think Christians have been discipled by the world. We do not know how to truly rejoice. And I'm going to tell you in a few minutes, I think, why we should rejoice and how we should rejoice. Many people don't look at Christmas as a joyful time. They, they view the Christmas season as kind of a time of hassle, full of stress, full of pressure, a duty, not a delight. Many people view Christmas as a time they, they're kind of depressed because they, they're reminded of their losses and their hurts and missing friends and family, etc. Or you can look at Christmas as kind of an uncomfortable time where you have to spend time with your oddball relatives. You laugh, but you know what I'm talking about. But regardless of how you view this Christmas season, Christmas is the best news you ever got. Beneath all the superficial sights and sounds that we have at Christmas time lies a simple yet profound truth that we all need to understand and receive. Christmas is a gift to you and I. It's a gift. What do I mean? It's a Christmas gift. And it, it, to you, it is a, it, I think it has three parts to it. Number one, it is the most expensive gift you will ever receive. Man, man, it, it was spendy. person gave his life for this. Number two, it's, it's the only gift you'll ever receive that will last forever. Have you ever noticed that, that Christmas, the kids tear their, you know, the, the packages apart and they dive into their toys and within three hours they're broken. <laughs> the longest may be three days. And you go, why did I buy that gift? It was, it was gone before I knew it. But this gift will last forever. It's also an extremely practical gift. It's the one gift that you will use every day for the rest of your life. Now, so, having said that, I think Christmas should be a time of joy. And I, I, it, I don't think we know how to do it. It's, it should be celebration. Now, I want to I give you a background for this. Do you know that the, uh, the Hebrew people, they had actually seven feasts that they celebrated? Seven times a year they would have a celebration. Three of them were called the pilgrimages, and they would take off for Jerusalem and celebrate for at least seven days their feasts. The first one was the Feast of Passover. What was that? It was the feast having to do with celebrating the fact that when the death angel came across Egypt, if they had the blood on the doorpost of their house and they were in the house, they, got, they were saved. That's something to celebrate. 
Come on, it was, it was, it was a celebration thing. So they would, they would feast, they would party, they would celebrate, they would eat. I think eating is really, really good. When, when combined with the celebration of something, for seven days they would feast. Then they had the Feast of Pentecost. The Feast of Pentecost was the feast celebrating the fact that both Jew and Gentile came into the kingdom. It was also a feast of the church. The church was begun on the day of Pentecost. And so we have these feasts they would celebrate. The last one was the Feast of Tabernacles. If you don't know these Jewish feasts, they were, they're, they're fascinating to get into and to follow and to understand. The Feast of Tabernacles was celebrating the fact that they, they had give, been given provision and housing in the wilderness. And so what, you know what they do? They, the Jews actually celebrated this by during the Feast of Tabernacles every year. They call it the Feast of Booths also. And what they would do, they would, they would build a lean-to in their backyard and spend seven days in that lean-to, celebrating the fact that God provided for them and blessed them in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. What do we do? We don't celebrate much of anything. Chris and I were talking about this the other day. We had a long talk, and I, I, I said amen and amen. We were talking through this, and when we get into these conversations, we kind of stir. I think what we're going to do sometime is sit up here and talk and let you guys listen in on sometimes. And we were talking, we were, we were saying, you know, it's, it, isn't it interesting that, that the children of Israel, they would start every feast on the day of the feast and go seven days. You know what we do? We stress out. We have all this pressure leading up to Christmas. When Christmas is done, we go, Whew, it's done. When in all seriousness, we should start celebrating on Christmas and the early church actually went 12 days. 12 days. What if we celebrate, even start with three days, but celebrate three days, seven days, 12 days, starting at Christmas, instead of just kind of, wow, we're over. You see, what I'm telling you is they have hijacked our celebration and our holiday. The world has hijacked it and told us this is how you celebrate it. You sing songs about Frosty. You sing songs about Santa Claus. You sing all these songs. Do you know that the top, If I, I saw the list the other day, the top five songs at Christmas, not one of them is a Christmas carol. You know what the first, the first one is? No? No? The Christmas song. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost, you know. The first five don't have anything to do with Jesus. The second one is White Christmas, and you go down through the list, and, and they're all good songs. There's nothing wrong with them, but they don't tell really the reason for the season. It's Jesus. He's the Savior. And, and the church has allowed the world to hijack it. We need to bring it back. We need to celebrate. You need to, that's why I think Christmas Eve is a great time. It's total out, Jesus. And I think we need to start celebrating on, on, on Christmas and the day after and the day after and the day after and celebrate his goodness and kindness. We're going to do something like that next year. Chris and I decided we're going we're gonna to figure out something to do so we can celebrate Christmas instead of just endure it. Are you, are you guys alive or you agree? I think we need to, there's a bug. No longer. 
He was trying to, trying to invade my message. I'm telling you today that let's, let's arise as the church and be the church of joy. Christmas is a time to be happy and joyful. Let, let me say this. Joy is not a response to something. Joy is a choice that you make with your will to rejoice in the God of your salvation. It says, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a psalm at the end having to do this. We need to rejoice. Christmas is a party. A birthday party for Jesus. And birthdays are meant to be celebrated. That's why we say, Merry Christmas. We don't say, Solemn Christmas. But I, I look at, at church people and I think sometimes everything's solemn. But if you go to Isaiah 61, what does it say? He wants to turn our mourning into joy. He wants to give us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He wants to turn that around. And I think, church, we need to start doing this. We need to be, if anybody should be people of celebration, it should be the church. We are, the, we are king's kids. We're a part of the kingdom of God. We're believers. We're Christians. God died for our, our sins. And you go down the list of things that we should be thankful for. It is awesome. But although Jesus is the reason for the season, he is often overlooked. He's barely mentioned. Can't even, can't even do Christmas carols in school anymore. We, we have a long list of fictional characters that try to take the center stage. From Santa Claus to Frosty the Snowman, the Grinch, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the list goes on. But I'm telling you, the scripture I just read to you, one of the first statements out of the angels' mouths was when announcing Christmas was that it was a time for joy. Time for joy. There was a lot of bad news. It was interesting. If you, take, if you do a history or a, the, uh, a, sto, a study of the history of this time of theology, you will find that this was one of the darkest times in all of the earth's history. And he came at the proper time, Jesus did, and he was set on the earth at a time of slavery and darkness and difficulty. The Roman Empire was at its height, and, and God wanted to set his Savior in the middle of it. He took four millenniums to get here. 4,000 years he was planning. Of course, he was planning before that. But after Adam, it was 4,000 years until Jesus came. Can you imagine all the prophetic words out of Isaiah and Micah and all the scriptures that I could list this morning? You could, uh, you could look at all these prophecies and say, when is he coming? When is he coming? And they were looking in the wrong place. They were looking for a king, and he was sending a baby. He prophesied a baby. He did. They even told the town that it was going to be in. They mentioned it was, it was Bethlehem. That was prophesied. So this gift that we're receiving should bring great joy to us. Of all people, we should be happy people. We should be one happy people. Come on. I, I think, I think we gotta be, we, 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 we got to be discipled different. we got to change our thinking. Our thinking's wrong. Our thinking's totally wrong with this. We get so involved in all the pressure of Christmas when it should be the celebration of this son, this, this baby. And so we see this gift, it, it's very personal. He says, the angel said, I'm bringing you. It's very personal. He's bringing us a gift. It's positive. It's good news. It's great news of great joy, not just joy, but great joy. He says, and it's for everyone. Everyone, it's for all the people. So what are we to celebrate? Well, we're to celebrate the gift of God to us. What The work that he did for us that we could have life and freedom. Now, I'm telling you right now, you people are not very good. I'm not very good. 
you are terrible. <laughs> I'm terrible. Come on, I'm, I'm serious. If you knew how bad, if you would go, if once you go into theology, you realize we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Everyone has sinned and come short of the glory of God. In fact, you were ready to be killed. You had capital punishment waiting for you until the baby arrived. Now think about this, and here we are, two millennia after this, we should be saying, praise God, thank you for what, you're, you, what you've done, what you're doing, and what you're going to do. Of all people, we are so blessed. We're not before the, the birth. We're not during the birth. We're after the birth. We should see the goodness of God in all of this. Come on. We need to celebrate. But we come to church, and you bring everything with you. You bring, like, you come into church, I see you. It's like you got this 500-pound backpack, and you come in. And I know how life is. I know how life is. But I'm telling you, you got to choose joy. You got to choose joy when we come in here. We got to choose rejoicing. That's something you will to do. In spite of everything, we have a gift that's been given to us that's so celebratory, so powerful. Chris and I were talking about this. He's dead. If we only knew, if we only understood what God has done for us, how He how He ripped into the scene and He 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 took all our sins and He placed His blood upon us, and, and now there is no judgment that is pending on our lives. No judgment. Wow. He, he looked at it this way. He, you know, there's all kinds of metaphors to illustrate this. He, he has this metaphor. I know Chris, so I know what he's thinking. And he said, Dad, it's like you're in the middle of the ocean. You're in a raft, and it's been 40 days, and you're, you don't have any water, you don't have any food, and the sharks are circling. He's scared to death of sharks. And <laughs> the sharks are circling, and the time's about up. Now, this is his metaphor. All of a sudden, a helicopter shows up and plucks you out of the ocean, and you're saved. Do you think you'd be happy? Now that isn't even come, that's just a little slice. Here's my metaphor. I said, yeah, that's okay, but my metaphor is you're on death row. You're on death row. You're being executed in five minutes. It's five minutes to midnight. You're gonna be executed at midnight and five minutes before the hour, all of a sudden the, the warden comes in and says, uh, someone just arrived. They've agreed to take your place. They will be executed for you. You're free to go. Do you think you'd be happy? Come on, people. This is just, I'm just telling you the basic, there, you can come up with your own metaphor. You can come up with your own story, but I'm telling you, what God did for us is he released us. His work for us is so celebratory, we should come to church. There is no reason why this place shouldn't, shouldn't bounce the roof off when we worship. We should be celebrating and honoring God. We are to celebrate what he's done. It's a, it's a place of joy. Come on. And when you go home, let's start rejoicing in the God of our salvation. We're to celebrate also God's love, not only his work, but God's love. The entire reason for the season is the love of God. He loved us so much. John 3, 16. This scripture I, I memorized when I was three or four years old. God, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I remember that as a, as a child. God loves you so much that he came to earth as a human. As a human so you could relate to him and receive his gift of life. It's called the incarnation. Or Emmanuel, God with us. That's what it is. Until Jesus arrived, our understanding of God and his love was limited. So God did what? He invaded the earth. 
It was an invasion. It was. That day when the, when the angels that I read, when the angels came, and I, I can never, uh, you know, why would he go to the shepherds? The least of ever, you know, that, can I tell you, every word in the Bible and every experience and every story and everything in the Bible is for a reason and purpose. He went to those shepherds because he knew they would listen. They were the lowest of the low, but he knew they would go to find that baby. He didn't say, go find the king. He said, go find the baby. So here we have it, this gift of love, incarnation, greatest invasion ever planned. God could, God could have chosen thousands of ways to communicate with us, but since he designed us, he knew how to communicate, which is face-to-face. -face. God didn't send an angel, a prophet, or an ambassador. He came himself. And the Bible tells us that God is love. Love is the essence of God's character. And he doesn't just have love. He is love. Psalm 145.9, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. If God didn't want to love something, he would not have created it. Now, let me, let me say it this way. Everything you see was made by God for his enjoyment, including us. Every star, every planet, every animal, every human being was created out of God's love and compassion. You look at the diversity of, of, uh, of birds, you look at the diversity of animals. You look, have you gone to uh, like Hawaii and they have these aquariums in different places? Have you looked at the diversity of fish? I'm going, why would God make that fish like that? Because he loves us and he loves the animals and the creatures. He did it all for us. And, and if God didn't want to love something, he wouldn't have created it. So I, every star, every planet, every animal... Every human being was created out of God's love and compassion. You were created as an object of God's love. Watch this. He made you to love you. That's why he made you. I, I'm telling all those people you despise, God loves them. God deeply loves them. And I, I, frankly, I can't even understand that. But he loves them. You were created as an object of God's love. He made you to love you. You would not exist if God had not wanted you. Every time your heart beats, every time you, you, you take a breath, God is saying, I, I love you. In fact, God was thinking of you even before he made the world. You were the last to be created, but the first to be thought of. Now, I'm... People, I'm not just saying cliches today. This is truth. In fact, this planet was designed with you in mind, with just the right environment for us to live in. It, the planet is at 23 and a half degrees axis, on the axis. It's just the right, it's 400,000 miles away from the, from the moon. It's 93 million miles away from the sun. How do I know all that? Because I'm an astronomer. <laughs> I love astronomy. And you, we're, we're just in the right atmosphere of what God wants so we can live. So James, James 1.18 says, God decided to give us life through the word of truth so we might be the most important of the things he made. How great is God's love? Now, th think about this. I don't know. Maybe you guys don't think this way. But, but if God is able to place his stars in their sockets and suspend the sky like a curtain, do you think it remotely possible that God is able to guide your life? 
If, if, if your God is mighty enough to ignite the sun, could it be that he is mighty enough to light your path? If he cares enough about the planet Saturn to put rings around it and Venus to make it sparkle, is there an outside chance that he cares enough about you to meet your needs? Why did he do all that? Now think about that. Did, did, he, give, did, did he have to give the birds a song? The mountains a peak? Was he required to put stripes on the zebra or the hump on the camel? Would we have known the difference had he, had he made the sunsets gray instead of orange and purple and blue? Why, why do stars have twinkles and waves have crests? Why, why put a dash of, of, of red on the cardinal and, and drape the whale in white? And why wrap creation in such splendor and go to so much trouble? He did it because he loves us. And so the next time a sunrise or a sunset steals your breath or a meadow of flowers leaves you speechless, I think you just need to say nothing and listen as heaven speaks to you. If you were the only person on the earth, God still would have done this. God's love for us is unconditional. So he loves you in your bad days and your good days. He loves you regardless of your performance your moods, your actions, or anything else, even your thoughts. His love for you is unchanging. Everything else would change during your lifetime, but God's love is constant, steady, and continuous. There is nothing you can do that will make God stop loving you. For God's love, now watch, the, come on, we need to celebrate, wow. For God's love is based on his character, not your conduct. is based upon who he is, not who we are. Yes. Ephesians 3.19, Christ's love is greater than anyone can ever know, but I pray that you will be able to know that love. So we are to celebrate God's love. We're to also celebrate God's presence. You still with me? God's presence. Because he said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. He's here today. He, he's here right now. He's here. We need to celebrate his presence. At times you may not feel like God is with you, but he is. But God's presence in your life has nothing to do with your feelings. Because God came at Christmas to remind you that he was always with you no matter what. Psalm 139, 7, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. What we must learn to do is tune into his presence. That's why God says you need to come every seven days. You need to tune up. Now, that doesn't mean you don't meet God every day. It just means you have a special tune-up that something happens when we come to church. Do you know what the church was made for? The church was God's instrument or his ship that you will get into on your travels on the earth. That's why I'm telling you, if you're a believer and not a part of the church, you do not know the Bible, nor do you understand the power of his, of his instrument. He made the kingdom for us and he made the church for us to be a part of while we're traveling on this journey on the earth. That's a, it's the same thing with Noah's Ark. It's the same thing with everything you see in the Bible. He said, I want to put you in a place where you have protection. I don't, there's something powerful about community that when we come together, it does something for us. So we're to celebrate his, his, his constant presence 
And we, I think we need to start remembering the name Emmanuel, God with us. Even his name says it. No one of the angels said, do not be afraid. I'm telling you, everyone in this church is, or everyone in this room today has probably been abandoned at some time or betrayed at some time in your life by a parent, a spouse, uh, children, friends, family, whatever. But I'm telling you, you may have experienced the sting of prejudice, bigotry, or intolerance, but God has never abandoned you. He's never left you. The word is true. His spirit is true. Hebrews 13, 5, God has said, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. It's one of the great promises of the Bible. One of my favorite scriptures is found in Isaiah 43, 2. When you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. And when you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Wow. So whatever you're facing right now, I'm telling you, God knows about it. In fact, he cares about it. He understands it. And he's going through it with you. For he has a way through the valley of the shadow of death. You're not alone. His presence is here. That's something to celebrate. Something to be joyful about. And the last thing is this. We're, wow. I'm just, I'm just celebrating God's life today. I'm going to end here in just a minute. I mean, we're, we're so blessed. We're, I don't, how, how, do you, how do you even express? We take things so for granted. You know, a, a, you know the average person receives $2 a day in the world? One billion receive a dollar a day? We in America are at the top. I don't care if you're at the lowest in America. You are a, you're, you're a king. You're privileged. And here we are. We take all these things for granted. I think the church needs to come together and celebrate. We got we to start celebrating all year long. We got to take this not for granted. Come to church. Uh, how was your week? Oh, it's kind of, you know, one of those weeks. You know. Even if you had a challenging week, praise God. He's the God of my salvation. And even if that's, that's choosing joy. Choosing joy. Now, if you have a complaint, you take it to God, like Chris talked about a couple weeks ago in Psalm 13. You take it to him. You can complain to him in private in your personal prayer time. When you come to the church, you celebrate. Come on, get the backpacks off. Leave them at the door or in your car, please. Get in here and celebrate. Right? And I think we need to celebrate God's power and willingness to help us. Come on, God, God's for you. And when you're facing a personal attack, oh, it's great to have God on your side. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Come on, too many of us think that God is out to get us. He's, he's involved in a gotcha game. No, he's not a sadistic cosmic grouch who enjoys frustrating our plans. He's the God of our salvation. He's the one who knows all about us. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. No one wants best for you more than God. And no one knows you better than God. God is not mad at you. He's mad about you. 
John 3, 17, God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. God doesn't rub your sins in. He rubs them out. He came to erase everything in your life, give you life, liberty, the chance to celebrate and rejoice. It's a time to rejoice and, and, and celebrate. Can you say amen? He's invaded our world, and we're here because of the goodness of God. I'm going to rejoice in the God of my salvation because of what he's done in my life. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice. How do you do that? You do that from the bottom of your heart. You choose because Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. If you want more strength, start rejoicing more. Can you give the Lord a big shout? Thank him right now. Thank you.